an A&E original podcast. In this episode, we discuss issues related to substance abuse and addiction. Please listen with care and remember to always take care of yourself first. Okay, okay, okay. You got it. You got it, girl. You got it. Okay, ready? And one, and two, and go, girl, go. I used to pray for times like this to rhyme like this, so I had to grind like that to shine like this. I don't even know. because You know what? You know what, Kirby? I actually, I am so happy you got your Philly out because I needed to see this. But you see what happens? You see what happens when we get her one Philly person? New girl. All we needed is one. Hey y'all, welcome to The Table Is Ours, the show where we discuss everything Black. That's identity, progress, and truths. And today, I have with me one of my favorite, my only, my main girl, my co-host, Kirby Dixon. Hey girl, hey, what's up superstar? And y'all know who that is. That is my girl, my sister, the right hand to my left hand, my favorite co-host, Amira Lawali. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I feel like I already know this because I know, I know how psyched you are about this episode, but I'm going to ask you. Bring it on, sis. Bring it on. <laughs> I'm going to ask you the question we always have to ask. Kyra Dixon, how are you this week? I am hype, hype, hype because your girl finally got a Philly-centered <laughs> episode. I have been waiting for this moment for so long. We've been Houston this, Houston that, Houston has Beyonce, Houston has Megan but you know what? Philly has Quinta Brunson, and I am so hyped for that. <laughs> You're right. And you know, I am hyped for you. I'm excited for you. You deserve. You deserve my Thank friend. you. <laughs> Finally got a Philly love fest in the house. So we haven't really gotten into how you feel about Philly. It's not obvious. <laughs> I mean, I know you love it, but tell me more. Like, I, I, I'm not a northerner, so I don't know, like, the ins and outs of Philly. So just give me a vibe. What is the vibe? You know, I feel like Philly gets a really bad rap, especially with our centering states. Like if you're from New York, you're from D.C., Philly seems like a little bit like a throwaway city. Mm -hmm. But I loved it. I can't imagine having grown up anywhere else. It centered me in a lot of ways. And I think Philly has this really strange dichotomy between like, wealthy and not wealthy like we have row homes we have suburbs we have grass we have city we have all of these things that I think really helped shape me into the person and the woman that I am today and I'm really grateful for my parents in raising me in this city and bringing me up in the way that they did but it's also like I think the great thing about a city like Philadelphia is the proximity to all these other really great cities, too. So I think we've spoken about this before. Like, New York is a two-hour trip. D.C. is three hours away. Jersey is uh, 30 minutes away. So I think that's the beauty of living on the East Coast and being able to, like, take advantage of all these other cultures that are are nearby. But Philly has its own culture, and whether people like to hate on it or not, there's a lot of good that comes from this city. So, I mean, Philadelphia is what started this country in a lot of ways. There's a lot of history here. There's the the Liberty Bell, William Penn. I'm giving all this wrong stuff. But there is a lot of history here, and I think it's really cool to be in a city where it all started. So say what you want, but... Be in the room where it happens. Wait, was that in Philly, or am I wrong? Am I getting my Hamilton songs wrong? I don't know. Philly is the room where it happens. <laughs> it's 
Speaking of people who we brought into the room where it happens. That was such a good transition, girl. <laughs> Thank you, girl. I'll be trying. I'll be trying. Talk about being on the straight and narrow. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of women who are in the room where it happens, this week's guest, we have a Philly native. Yes, we do. Quinta Brunson. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> And you know Quinta as our digital content queen, okay? Yes, meme queen. This girl has always, always memed well, okay? We know her as a BuzzFeed star in the past. She was on a Black Lady sketch show, and she has new shows brewing. Mm-hmm. New shows brewing. She also has a new book out called She Memes Well. The girl is busy. Oh, he got money. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we spoke about internet culture. We spoke about canceling all of the student loan debt. We talked about collaborating and competing with your other Black peers. We spoke about the power of one good punch to the face. Yes, you heard that right. Hit him. <laughs> and y'all know I had to ask my girl what her go-to Philly cheesesteak spot is. So Quinta Brunson, let's get into it. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello. Hey, ladies. Hello. How are you? Oh, my gosh. First of all, thank you for coming. We're so excited. We've been psyched for a while. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to be here. I'm doing well. And how are you two? You look great. You look lovely. You sound good and look good. Thank you. I'm good. We like to start off every podcast with the same question because this last year has been so heavy. It's been very chaotic and stressful. How are you really doing? (laughs) You know, you caught me on a good day. Today, I am doing very well. And that is the honest to goodness truth. Might not be the same tomorrow or the day after, but today I'm doing very well. Good. That's what we like to hear. Yes. We always love to hear, especially that emphasis on today. Today. Because that's how we feel too. Today, we're good. Today, I am good. Tomorrow might be a different story. We'll see when we get there. Ask me in 20 minutes. I don't know. Right. In an hour, who knows? Right. (laughs) Well, I'm just going to hop in because today I'm doing exceptionally well because even though Amira is my co-host, my friend, my co-worker, (laughs) Philly is in the building, the virtual building today, and I am so hyped to have you on. Yes. Amira's been having like this Houston love fest for the past couple of episodes. I have. And I love it, but I'm tired of it. So, (laughs) You know what, girl? I get it. I totally get it. This is a Kirby... Philly moment. I am here to soak it all in. Thank you very much. So, Quinta, thank you for saving me. Of course. I'm so happy to be here. It's so nice to meet another genuine Philly girl like you were genuinely from Philadelphia. That's kind of rare. I'll meet people and they'll be like, from Philly. And I'm like, what part? And they're like, oh, you know, Arlington or like have. I said, no, I said Philly is what I said. So it's very nice to meet you. Where do you live now? 
So I'm we're normally in New York, but I'm back home in Philly for the first time oh, in like what? eight years. Yeah, it's oh, crazy. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's very strange. I bet. But I love having a car. New York, I don't even know what that is. Right, right. And it's nice. I just realized I've never been in Philadelphia as an adult, like a real adult. Isn't that a crazy experience? You know, like when when I do go back to Philly and I see my friends who live there, um, who I was, you know, friends with in high school and all through childhood and stuff. I'm like, my adult life is not here. I do not know yeah. the spots. Right? I do not that's know it. the spaces. <laughs> they have changed so much. My whole life is LA and that's where my adult life has been, even though I'm always going to be from Philly. But, you know, my friends will be like, let's go to the hookah bar. And I was like, uh, let's not. Like, but that's the Philly hangout spot. You know, that's where everybody's at. <laughs> yeah, it is so, so bizarre. You know, I'll give you the cliche thing, but I have to ask, favorite cheesesteak spot growing up? Mine is Ishka Bibbles. Good call. So, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people don't mention Ishka Bibbles in the cheesesteak conversation. And I wonder a lot if it's just like sentimental. I spent so much time on South Street and at the TLA, which is right across from Ishka Bibbles. So it, that could have something to do with it. But I feel like our favorite foods are often linked to like location and, and emotion and reason and your favorite concerts and stuff. So that's it for me. Where's yours? Okay, that was my little gum tree outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've changed hands. So since I've been home, my favorite uh-huh. now is D'Alessandro's. That's the one I'm promoting on this podcast. So. <laughs> <Promoting>. <laughs> when you come back, make sure you check out D'Alessandro's. Ishka Bebbles is, is cute. Girl, I couldn't even Not tell you cute. exactly where. Wow. I couldn't even you tell you exactly where. Back like, on it. Henry F. Henry F. Henry F. He said it's cute. It's like, <laughs> like, dang, really turned you back on it. Cute. Damn, Ishka Bibbles. It's cute, says the girl who went to Ishka Bibbles last week. It's but nice. I digress. Damn, Ishka Bibbles. Ishka Bibbles. Well, I'm promoting you on this podcast. Ishka Bibbles on South Street. Okay, but I'll check out that spot when I go back. I'm also just a fan of a good old random corner store cheesesteak, you know? I, that's what I tell people when they go to Philly. They're like, gyms or pets. And I was like, you know, you shouldn't underestimate the power of whatever store is on the corner to provide a wonderful cheesesteak for you. It might be the best cheesesteak you ever had. And I can't even tell you the name of it, but you know, the store, but go there and see what happens. Exactly. Well, thanks for letting me have that little moment. Amira, I'm going to pass the mic over to you. <laughs> Anytime, girl, you deserve. I, You deserve. It's been like eight episodes of Houston. <laughs> but Quinta, when we were researching you, we realized that like growing up, the schools that you went to, focused on like black art and like black yeah. history and like that it was celebrated and i'm i am so sad that that's like non-traditional it's not the norm no it's not like i never experienced that so like how is it being a focus point of your i guess education growing up yeah you know it's one of those things while you're in it you don't really notice how unique it is but when you look back especially on elementary school that was like first to fifth grade to me that was an entire village learning program called the holly which I talk about a lot at length in my book because, you know, I got to look back on it and see how special that was. But what I think it did for me as a young Black child was just prepare me for what the world was, you know. And learning about our unfortunately very gruesome history in America as Black Americans in first grade and, like, watching Roots when other kids were watching Cinderella. yeah. You know, may seem nightmarish, but it wasn't. And we didn't just learn about the trauma. We learned about our, you know, actual history and our advancements. I remember in learning in first grade that the person who invented the stoplight was a black man. It was just like little stuff like that that set you up 
for what I used to use, the term was like my history didn't feel like my crutch. It felt like my anchor. It felt like it it anchored me in childhood. So when I got out and I went into the real world, there was nothing that like white people could do that could surprise me or, you know, I had read and seen and learned about the ugliness throughout my childhood at the same time that I was watching like all that. It was all yeah, yeah. <laughs> relative, you know? So I learned how to interact with, um, you know, whiteness as a social construct, I think in a different way. And sometimes I would talk to my friends who, who didn't get that experience to like college. And that's if they took an African-American studies course or if yeah. they went to an HBCU. Right. But other than that, you know, it started to stick out to me as I got older. Oh man, like so many Black Americans don't even get to engage with their own history in a healthy way because of the way the American school system typically works. So, you know, that that's really what it did for me. And, and you know, I still talk to my peers who I went to school with. And same thing. It, we all just navigated the world in a different way. Yeah, that is so interesting. And I love that because that is not my reality. And that wasn't Amira's reality. You know, like, so you're mm-hmm. talking about your friends who learned about their kind of black identity intentionally by taking these classes. And it wasn't until I had an experience in high school and then intentionally took classes when I was in college, when I started to kind of learn about the history of black folks, unless I heard something from my dad and my mom who were really ingrained in in black culture and black history. Mm -hmm. But moving you forward, you know, you went to Temple University. So shout out to TU Mm -hmm. until your major was taken away in which you decided, you know what, maybe I can get to where I want to get to in a different way. And it's something that Amir and I talk about a lot, particularly in the media and entertainment industry. Like, is it necessary to have a degree, even like a college undergraduate degree, to make it in this industry? Good question. Well, did you guys go to school? And what schools and like for what studies? Yeah, I went to undergrad at Baylor. I did business and film. And then I went to grad school, which moved me to New York. And I did like writing for film and TV. Okay. And my thesis statement is grad school is an MLM. It's a scam. But (laughs) (laughs) I got lucky. I met someone who met someone who got me in the door. And I just really needed an an introduction into entertainment. Of course. Because I had no idea. But I don't think you need to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get entertainment. Right. And then in what school? I promise I'm going to answer your question. I just wonder what <laughs> yeah. you guys' relationship was. And then, you know, what was it for, for you, Kirby? Yeah. So I actually, I ended up staying in Philly. So I went to uh, the oh, University nice. of Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. I loved it. But I was, throughout my entire four years, I was trying to make the education in my major fit for what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until mm-hmm. I got an internship out in LA with Nickelodeon that I was like, oh, mm-hmm. so this is actually what I want to do. And then once I came back to school, I was like, okay, let me try and navigate the education that is here for me to make it work for me getting into the entertainment industry afterwards. Right. Yeah. And so even hearing both of your experiences, like, you know, um, you know, Amira, you met someone who ultimately, you know, and then for you, Kirby, like you did the internship in between. For me with college and my experience, I would never say that it's not necessary, right? Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. I learned so much in college, but at a certain point for me, the want to work took over. Like I was like, actually, I want to work now. I want to get into the mix. And I started in school an advertising major, then moved over to mass communications and, um, you know, broadcast telecommunications. And all of that knowledge 
really prepared me for, I think, where I am today, you know, even as a television show creator, as an actress, even knowing the the inner workings of how TV works, knowing about Nielsen ratings, knowing about the big six companies, all of that stuff that, you know, I would kind of even lend that knowledge to my friends. Like, you know, advertising drives a lot of what gets picked up and, you know, people don't know that. So that was all so helpful to me as well as the connections. I mean, my first job, that I got in LA, similar to you. I, I, I just like kind of was like, I'm taking a break from school. Yeah. I wanted to come out to LA kind of to just see if I could figure out how to work. And there, it was a friend in college. His brother got me a job as a PA on a Donald Glover music video. And like, that's cool. <laughs> and I think if anything, that is what college felt so good for a community of people that you learn with. And then you, naturally network with Mm -hmm. but the pressure to like graduate or else may just be more of a constraint it was a constraint for me you know college was putting me in the craziest amount of debt and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. debt you said debt and I got chills (laughs) still paying those loans trauma and what's funny is I did not graduate college and I'm one of the only people I know out of the people who went to temple was paid off all of their student loans. Wow. Oh my gosh. And I dropped out. But that allowed me the space that now that's my personal situation. Mm-hmm. But that uh, dropping out got me into a different, you know, workforce, a different work field earlier on. And and I'm not saying that to brag. It's nothing to brag about. Everyone should be able to pay off their student loans. We shouldn't have to deal with them the way we have to deal with them in the first place. Like Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So it's just all relative. I'm it's weird. I'm weirdly like sometimes anti college and then some days, man, I was I'm like I was so grateful for the experience and I'm so proud of my peers who also went to Temple. But it usually comes out when I'm like speaking to college students and I'm like Drop out. Just kidding. But maybe. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But first of all, can we give you a quick moment of silence for having paid off all your student loans? You are who I aspire to be. A queen. (laughs) We need to aspire for that to not be. To not exist. I know. You know? Honestly, like, come on. Man, when Bernie said that, I was like, you know what, bro? That's it. What's happening? Is it going or not? Like, was it a scam or not? Are they going away? You know, like... This should not be even, I'm happy you guys are, you know, proud, but it should not be a proud moment because it's like, it's just, it's robbery, you know, it shouldn't even be a burden on us, really. I just, I don't know. But I think it's good that you made that distinction for school because I think there's so much pressure on kids in terms of, okay, you got to get into college and you got to make, you know, get good grades. Whereas the actual main learning experience from college is how to navigate as a young person in this world. It's the connections you make. Mm -hmm. It's the tough skin that you're able to get as a result Mm -hmm. of college. I know that's what my dad always would say was like, yeah, she's like, you were so soft before you got into college. Shout out to being in college and growing a tough skin. I'm like, I'm from Philly. Like, how soft is my skin? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, one thing about school, too, is, like, I just, like, the textbooks. I was more obsessed with my textbooks. Like, I would run through my te- – I was so genuinely interested in media that, it, you know, I would – if if I just always think if everyone just had access to the books you get in college – you know, if you could just on the outside pay for the books, I guess, if you got to pay for something. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, college would implode. But those books were expensive. They're expensive as hell. College books are like. They're so expensive. 
For what reason? Yeah. And then when I figured out the professors wrote the books, I said, oh, this is part of the scam. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. You know. Quinta, when did you decide that you wanted to go full force into comedy and kind of make a career out of it? For me, it was this moment when I I was curious about comedy and was, you know, obsessed with it at a time and started looking at where a lot of the people who I admired, you know, where they all came from. I was like, where do all these people come from? They all seem to have this similar style and know each other. So I found out about The Second City, which is a comedy theater in Chicago and and has other locations, but Chicago was the big one. At the time, I had a boyfriend who was in school in Chicago at Columbia College. And I was like, okay, hmm, what if I try to take a class at this place, like just to see? And so I did. I went and I was like, I can at least stay with him. I used my little bit of money I made from like teaching dance classes in Philly to pay for this class. And so I went... I took the improv class. I loved it. But even more than me loving it, you know, that was an immersive experience. You watched people perform. At the time, I saw like Keegan-Michael Key just randomly get on stage. You were seeing these people like, oh, my God, this is art and it's fun for them. Like, this can be done. And I was having such a good time. And then my teacher at the time, her name was Shelly Gossman. And she's now an incredible, you know, writer and producer. I just had a meeting with her. It's insane. Two days ago as whatever. That's a different Full story, circle but. moment. <laughs> I know it was. It was really crazy. But she was my teacher and she pulled me aside and said, you are good at this and you should, you should like take the writing course. And I was like, okay, that's cute and all, but I don't have any money. Like I'm, I, there was no money anywhere. Yeah. Ugh. My parents didn't even know I was in Chicago. Those classes are expensive expensive and especially when you're broke 400 600 they're expensive broke college student i was on my college winter break taking the class too like i truly had no money and no resources and my parents were please like they did not know i was there they thought i was at temple's campus sleeping over at a friend's (laughs) house so i was like ah that's cute shelly shell but i don't have any money and she was like she gave me money literally out of her pocket and was like use this money to take the writing course. And that was like a game changer for me. Material money to say, go do this thing because you are good at it is so motivational for you to take it seriously. Yes. <laughs> and and that was like the moment where I was like, okay, no one's ever given me money to do anything in my life. I've been good at a lot of stuff. I've been good at dance. I've been good at, you know, whatever. But no one said, uh-uh, here's money to do this. And I that was it. From that moment on, I was just like, okay, I'm 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 doing this. It's it set in my brain that that was going to be my career. I can only imagine the pressure to want to excel when you're like tied to somebody else's money too. It's like, okay, shoot, I'm going to be good at this because <laughs> I have to be. I don't have a choice. <laughs> you know what's crazy? I weirdly didn't even think of it in that way though. Like I didn't, I, I felt no pressure. I felt like freedom. Like, man, maybe I was like, well, all right. It felt like more of a cool, like, and that's what, you know, material things for our, our people can do, like the freedom to to fail. You know, at that point, I felt like I had the freedom to fail. I was like, oh, this is something I could fail at. Ooh, for fun, you know? So that that's what it afforded me. And that talks about like the privilege in, in our community too, like yes. in this part of the industry, because people that look like you and I typically don't have that access to be able to play around with money like that. Absolutely. To pursue your dreams full force, like 
just make it happen. Yeah. I think we're, I'm trying to remember who we spoke to about this recently where they were like rich white kids, like get in the industry faster because they can take the jobs that pay them nothing. It was Naomi Ekparrigan. Oh, Naomi. Oh, I love Naomi. Oh man. (laughs) You know what? It's so true. Like no shade or like jealousy or anything, but that, that freedom to fail, that freedom to work for free, all of that is, something that later on allows you an easier path to success, you know, and we don't always, we don't always have that. So. And that's so interesting. (laughs) That to me reminds me of when I had no idea what the, like what a sponsor was. I didn't know. I I remember specifically when I was studying abroad, having someone who was in a wealthier position ask me, Oh, do you have a sponsor? And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I'm going through school, not thinking Mm. this person was asking, can I help you financially? Wait, wait, Mm. wait, wait. I know. I didn't even know that. There's sponsors with money out there. It was like a family friend of a friend of a friend. And I had no idea. I was just like, Oh no. Kirby, you just taught me something. I need a financial sponsor. Yes, called Sugar Daddy. That's what I was like, sponsor to me is just Sugar Daddy. Is this yeah. a different, was this just a Sugar Daddy or was there a different definition here? No, it was, it was actually, it was like a family friend, a husband of a family friend who was in a financially wealthy position that I was unaware of at the time, who was just oh, okay. offering to help make my study abroad experience a little easier as opposed to me pulling out of my pocket. And I had no idea what he was speaking about. So I refused it. I'm like, no, we're going through school. No clue, but that reminded me. <laughs> that reminded me of that moment. So that's so true. I would have. I would have no idea. I'd have been like, "No, thank you." Yep. No clue. <laughs> no clue. Exactly. That's so funny. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So you came on the scene as a digital creator before digital creator was a thing. A queen. A queen. A starter. Well, well, maybe the term... (laughs) Well, maybe because maybe the term hadn't been like branded yet, but there's definitely mm-hmm. like people out there was Issa, there was there was Donald. Yeah. But maybe there's like didn't have there was the term wasn't like there. But yeah. So that's actually my question. How has that term changed from when you started? Oh, from when I started. From when you started. Yeah. You know, the term, I think, constantly takes on new meaning as the Internet does. You know, at first it was just like YouTuber. Right. But then as people started doing more with YouTube, it took on a new meeting, you know, when when people started making web series, like, you know, what Issa was doing. Broad City was a web series that that was it, even though we don't look at that as that now because of where they are now. Mm -hmm. But that's what it was. And then, you know, the introduction of things like Vine changed it further. Oh, I loved Vine. I know I miss it. You know, I loved Vine. (laughs) I still watch like Vine compilations all the time, but. That changed it. And then, you know, a period that people often don't remember is like 
Instagram didn't always have video. Instagram got video after Vine and Instagram was already set in its way. So, and you, and there wasn't like, there wasn't like a viral Instagram video. Like that came really upon my, like my series and my video, that was new. And a lot of people thought I was on Vine, but I wasn't, I was on Instagram. And, and also even then, it still wasn't like, I'm a digital creator. I was playing around with my Instagram where only my friends were following me. Like I was just posting <laughs> something stupid. I was actually like very adamantly against the internet. I hate, I, I was just, but Instagram wasn't the internet at the time. And it was just like a photo sharing app that I would like put a stupid video on and then boom. Right. And then now fast forward, fast forward, you know, Twitter was a platform that then got video. So then you could use it for that. And then TikTok something else will come around the corner. And so the term will change as the landscape of the internet does. And as people find new ways to use it, the term will will always change. One thing I think is that the term can be detrimental because people will box people into just that term. And that shouldn't be the case anymore. So many digital creators have proved that means nothing. The internet is nothing but another stage. That's it. But between Donald and Issa and Bo Burnham and like, it's just another stage for creatives to use the same way TV, film, the actual stage. It's just another, you know, platform. Do you think that we're in an age now where digital creators, and I don't even, it's just creators, period, Mm -hmm. content creators are getting stronger or is it like a little bit of a cop out? And I'm only asking because as we move through time, technology gets more and more advanced, right? So anybody with an iPhone can make a series if they wanted to. We have TikTok, which basically shows you exactly how (laughs) to participate in these challenges and make this video content. Yeah, it's wild. But when I think of kind of your age of content creators, you are learning, even when you were at BuzzFeed, learning how to produce, how to direct, how to work with these various like technologies, how to cut all of these types of things that I don't necessarily know is necessary anymore. So do you kind of look at what we're going through now as almost like a lack of creativity, like an ease? Is it easier to be a creative now? Sure. It's easier to be a creative, but what's not easier is people who people who are good at their craft will always make it out of the brush of anyone who can just pick up a phone and do anything. Say it again for the people in the back. Yes. Because <laughs> I do not have that bone in my body. <laughs> you know, and like craft plus talent will never go anywhere. And that always shines through. Like, yes, with TikTok, anybody's able to do anything. But I can see the kids that are future editors. Oh, yeah. I can see, you know, I can see the kids who are, more you know like no you as a person are actually talented and you're actually a comic or a comedian this is just your platform and I try to tell a lot of younger creators of any type to focus on your craft like learn the history of your craft move forward with it this is TikTok's just a platform but guess what you could maybe wind up editing movies. Yes. You could keep, you know, like you, like there's some of those kids on TikTok where I'm like, you are an editor, okay? You are doing things that people cannot, don't know how to do on like Adobe Premiere. Like that's a knack. Like editing is a a skill. And so I just think that's what 
I talk about that a lot in my book. That's what people need to like keep in mind. Same thing with you guys. Like you can go wherever you need to go because you're good at this. So you can put that anywhere. So that's what's important. I live by the mantra of hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Like I learned that very early on. And like, I know, you know, like it's one thing to just be naturally skilled at something. Yeah. But it's another to have some one that's willing to work just as hard at their craft to read the history of these things to work at technology whether it's new whether it's challenging whether it's hard and if you master the hard work and couple it with your talent sky is the limit for sure yep it's so true yeah yeah it's true since we're on the subject of tiktok tiktok i feel like was the easiest way to see black talent and black moves get stolen yes Mm -hmm. absolutely it's like in real time Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like, I do think that's like the, I agree with you. That's the most blatant version of it I've ever seen. Appropriation. With literally within hours, it's someone else doing the little tickety boppity dance with no credit. And I'm like, oh. We saw it just with Jimmy Fallon. (laughs) Yeah. Even with my, you know, I, someone sent me a TikTok and like, it was a girl using my voice from an old video I had done. But even the audio that was playing didn't have my name on it. It was the name of some other person that uploaded it. And if you went to that page, it was a random white girl. And I was like, the erasure here is like, actually like jarring. I was just like, holy shit. I don't think I've ever seen it in this capacity for it to be so easy to erase us. Like, wow, damn, that's like not good. Well, question. How do you protect your black voice in different rooms? And how can the next generation of creators protect their things? Because this is a little ridiculous to see it in real time. It's wild. You know, that is a big question. It's a very big question. On one hand, my answer would be don't use the platforms where that can be easily done, right? But I get it. TikTok is a big platform right now, so that's what people are going to use. The other thing I would say is consistency is key. I know for me, when I started making videos on Instagram, what I think kept those videos from being copied was the consistency. Like, this is the girl who makes this thing. And if anybody else does it, they're... Biting off of your stuff. Right. (laughs) And we'll call it out. Yeah. (laughs) In the comments. And it happened, not by me, but by people who, who liked my work. That goes back to my discussion of, like, craft. Like, are you looking at this as virality? or Because virality can easily be duplicated, manipulated, but... Craft and consistency cannot, you cannot really duplicate talent consistency and like focus on craft. All that to say, we know the disadvantage that's against like black creators. We know it. And I do sometimes wish we as a community would stop being surprised about it and shut it down at the root or ignore it and keep it moving because I don't know if that's ever going to change. Should it? Yes. But I don't want these kids to get discouraged because, you know, it's happened to me. It's happened to all of us, all of us. And it's like, I just don't want them to stop because of it. Because I kind of tell younger creatives straight up, it's going to happen. And your job is to keep going, unfortunately. Or we just start like beating people up. I think we also should bring back. <laughs> Anybody else feel like we should bring back 
like punching people in the yes. face. Yes. Yes. You are talking my language. I say it all the time. Yeah, people get real bold under those Twitter fingers and you the, know, di- like, the digital like, platforms. Yes. Bring back a good swift punch. I'm not saying all out fight, but sometimes people need to be punched so they know that just a little bit of. Just a little nut. Knuck if you butt. Just one time. Just <laughs> one, one time. Hit. One hit. <laughs> Never do it again. People are bucking, but they're not knucking. You know yes. what I mean? <laughs> Exactly. Well, that is a really good point for young black creatives specifically. Like, how did you kind of start to quiet that noise when you saw it first happen to you? Because a lot of the stuff that Amir and I were preparing for when we were getting ready to speak to you is we know that black culture in a lot of ways drives culture. It sets trends. It moves things forward. A lot of the stuff that we do is deemed as cool. And oh, my God, I want to learn how to do that. But it's interesting being somebody that got started on the internet in a way and seeing your stuff get appropriated and stolen and taken, but in a way knowing that these digital platforms can also help elevate careers and get you known by larger brands. So how do you kind of balance those two worlds, those two voices in your head? Mm, You know, well, I'll say what I did, but I'm not saying it's what everyone else should do, but I just kind of keep my blinders on and keep it moving. I'm like, I can't. Yes, sis. I'll say to myself, like, someone could copy or do the same thing. It's happened before, but they don't. They don't. I have the original and that can't be. I don't know. That can't be duplicated. A sequin can never be a diamond, no matter you how know, brightly I, it sparkles. And that's no. And, and even if someone copies, honestly, I'm never even like upset or anything I'm like I hope that you get what it is that you want out of that but I don't think that anyone can get what I'm after because that requires me to do that if that makes sense yeah yes so I don't know for me that's the only way to deal with it I don't like being angry I don't like you know, being upset, unless I'm allowed to punch someone, I am not interested. (laughs) I mean it. I'm not interested in being like angry. It's not an emotion, especially over this bullshit. There's way more stuff in the world to be angry about, you know, but this stuff, I'm just like, whatever. But if other people want to be mad, I'm not going to take away their right to, because I think that is completely valid. And if that's how they would love to you know, like to handle the situation, then so be it. Yeah. 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 Do what is best for you. Exactly. (laughs) So Kirby and I, we include you in our comedy girl squad of the moment. Yes. The girl group unite. Yes. It's you. It's Issa. It's Yvonne. Uh It's Ashley Nicole. And we're like so excited of this moment. Like we celebrate it constantly. So one, what is it like to like live in this moment where like funny black women are running things and making that jump to TV. Well, I mean, it's surreal a little bit. Like even you guys, like, I don't know. Like sometimes I even see my name like mentioned next to Issa's. I'm like, what? I don't, (laughs) I don't know. I just feel like she's in such a different league. And so I just feel like that's awesome to be even considered in the same like realm. I don't know. I just still feel fresh and like a newbie and I don't know and like I'm still finding my way and still developing like my place and all of this but I think it's inspiring because I think that means 
what I think it means is we will eventually move from the even bringing up the conversation of black people are not a monolith, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I watched that get put on Insecure. Well, black people don't do this and black people, okay, well, that's one show. I watched it get put on Black Lady Sketch Show and it's like, well, black people don't do this. And, and it's like, on one hand, I do not at all expect any of those shows to represent all black women. But I think the more of us there are, the more we don't have to rely on those shows or those people to do that. You can find your representation, not in one person, but in one of the variety of people. There's a whole class of newcomers coming that you guys don't even know about who are going to offer even more, like, you know, representation. And I think that's something that I, off my the top of my hand, can name, like, five comedic white guys that are all different that even me as a black girl can find representation in like, you know, like, but we're still not quite there. And I mean, and I'm saying five, but there are a million of them and we just aren't there yet with like black women at all. We're getting there. There's, there's even a nice array of black men of black male comedians and black male comedic actors, but we're getting there with women. We're also learning how to appreciate our, comedic you know last year was the first time i saw regina hall get the appreciation she deserves oh my gosh being funny as hell yes you know what i mean and i mean to me she's actually the actually the funniest person she's hilarious yes (laughs) like she's so subtle she is like god tier to me and like as far as comedy goes and last year i remember thinking i'm like why does no one talk about regina hall why why is she So it's like we're learning to appreciate comedic Black women as a culture, finally. And I think that's important. I saw people, like, giving Whoopi Goldberg her flowers after all these. It's like, come on. It's like, hello. Yeah. it's in. We're in 2021. And that's up to us to embrace everyone and not just put one person in the slot, which I think we, that's that's something that I think minority groups tend to, to do out of you know the need of representation but it's like but we have to embrace everyone in there so that we can have multiple versions of representation but i think it's really interesting because despite finally black women black comedians black people being given their flowers right now it's still a really competitive industry and whether or not we want to believe it like tokenism is still very real so there's still some times where it's like okay if you're going to a major network it's like okay you can only be the one really funny black woman Mm -hmm. absolutely on these shows did you ever feel kind of that competitiveness as you were breaking from like a, a digital creator into the television world and did that ever kind of creep up on you while you're like oh shoot okay Issa's gotten this so I'm not gonna be able to get this for a little while or you're in the door so now you feel like it's almost stuck with you You know what? Yeah. I mean, I think that comes for us all. It's not like competition on purpose. I don't think it's mean competition. I think it just creeps in like, oh man, if this person gets that role, that means I'm out for the, I'll never be able to get a similar role because that person will then fill in that spot, you know? Right. I just had a really great conversation with a comedic actress named, uh, her name's Kirby Howell Baptiste, and she's British. She was on The Good Place. She was on uh, Barry. Oh, I loved her. Yep. Fantastic. Her and I just started like hanging out and chatting. We we joke about how we're like, oh man, we still got to like be on good behavior because like 
if if I do something, they kick me out. I just know they're going to call Kirby in. And if Kirby right. does something, yeah. <laughs> they're just going to call me in. And like, so we're still at that point and we joke about it. Like we know we're transferable. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I mean, it's the way it is. I mean, that's real. Yeah, it is. But what, what makes us, I think, all feel better is creating our own work you know, as well as acting in other projects. So we feel like we all have our lanes. And that makes, to me, that alleviates that comp- that competition that comes from just acting. You know, acting and auditioning creates a different kind of competitive spirit that it's why I kind of, I don't really, auditioning is not my jam. And that's part of the reason why I went the way I went with digital, because I was like, I'm not doing that. Like, that's going to make me hate myself and everyone. I don't have the skin for that. But creating your own work definitely helps you feel that you're out of that race of competition. Mm-hmm. And even with shows like A Black Lady Sketch Show and Insecure, which feels like they're actually challenging finally the norms of these other major shows that tend to hold the keys in comedy. So like a Saturday Night Live. Oh my God, yeah. It seemed like no one could challenge them and that was the archetype of what it meant to make it as a comedian. Yeah. But now with these other shows, and I kind of defer to you in terms of, did that set feel a little bit different than anything you've been a part of before? Well, yeah, I mean, two things about that was like, you know, SNL was the only show for a while. It was like SNL or Mad TV, but then Mad TV went away. So it was really just like SNL. And you know, the smaller sketch shows here and there. But as a black person, once again, it was like, am I going to make it on like that white ass sketch show? I don't know. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Black <laughs> Lady Sketch Show, the opportunity was like a dream that I just threw out the window. I was like, I'm never going to be on a sketch show. I'm never going to be on SNL. I'm never like, you know, and it wasn't in it. It was just like, eh, that's dream deferred. I'll do something else. So the opportunity to actually be on a sketch show was like wild. And then what was really unique about that set what continues to be unique about that space that people don't get is like, I'm on a show with a bunch of women I would otherwise be auditioning against in other situations. Right. Yeah. And that didn't hit me until like maybe our last week of shooting. I'm like, I would have never been in the same thing with Ashley Nicole Black. We would have been auditioning against each other for the same role. Same thing with Gabrielle. Same thing with Robin. Same thing with the women who guest starred on the show. I wasn't on the second season. I was there before I had scheduling conflicts after COVID came. But Sky Townsend joined. And I'm like, I've loved you on, you know, I thought she, I thought she was so talented when I would see her internet videos. And I'm like, yeah. I can't, we're both like looking at each other like, we can't believe we get to like work together and we're not battling it out to be the only black girl in, in a sketch somewhere like or in a show somewhere. And that's what's special about that space. And one of the reasons I hope it maintains because- you do not get to do that many other places. Yeah. Like, even if you get to join an all-Black cast, the chances are still low of you getting to be with women that you normally would be auditioning against, you know? And it's a fun experience. It's uplifting. It makes you feel camaraderie with these people who the system has you, you know, like, pitted against. So that's what's special about that set, in my opinion. That's awesome. One of the things that I pride Amira and I on with this podcast is we're able to show the various emotions that all of our Black faves go through and the various topics that all of us are battling. It's one thing to be able to promote and talk about the projects, the incredible things that you guys are doing, but we also get really interested in those really real experiences that we can relate to in you. And one of the things that we spoke about and that we want to talk to you about is like, the other side of being a public figure. So mm. once you become a public figure, it, it's great for a lot of things when you have things to promote, but it gets really challenging when you're actually dealing with 
very real personal narratives that you feel you have to share with the masses because people are looking to you to also deal with their own issues and and insecurities and things of that nature. So that said, a little bit of a tough transition, but one of the topics (laughs) we wanted to, to chat with you about is drug culture. I'm someone who, I've never shared this on this podcast, but I have relatives who have dealt with, suffered from, continue to deal with kind of drug addiction. And it's a really challenging thing to watch because from my end, I feel helpless and I cannot do anything. And we know that you've been really open kind of with the loss that you've experienced in the the past couple of years with your friends that have dealt with their drug addictions and demons. I'm thinking of Mac Miller, China Rogers. So first and foremost, we just want to check in with you how are you doing today? Um, Amir and I talk a lot about grief on this podcast, and we know it's a, a really long, arduous process. So how are you doing? Well, like I said in the beginning, I'm doing well today. But, you know, grief is a friend of mine wrote something about grief, about how you learn to deal with it. Like it becomes like a, a unwanted guest that that comes over without your permission and like won't leave some days. And it's just like, what are you doing here? And it comes and it sits and it eats. It's like, who told you you could come in? Uh, I did not give you a seat at this table. Did not. Leave. Send a text first. Just go away. Ring the doorbell, please. So rude. So rude. And that is what it is. And I think that's grief. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, today I'm I'm well. Yeah. Well, we're really happy to hear that. Yeah. yeah thank you. We've talked about this a bit, but when it comes to drug culture and media, it's either celebrated or like completely like stigmatized and talked down about. And I, I'm thinking about shows that we love. Like I love Euphoria, I love Breaking Bad, and I love all these things that kind of celebrated it. So like, do you think we're moving in the right direction with those shows and how they address addiction and drug use? Or do you think it's too celebrated? You know, I, I have such complicated feelings on the matter. I really, really do. First of all, I think drugs in our ability to deal with addiction and even start using drugs in the first place, that affects different classes of people in a different way. You know, I am from West Philly. Most people in West Philly will not have the chance to even enter rehab. So them starting to use drugs is more dangerous. Thus, the messaging of drug use being normal is a little bit more dangerous. Cool is a little bit more dangerous because the resources to deal with a possible addiction, if they aren't there, you know, whereas I had a friend whose uncle had a drug addiction, but he was fully set up to recover and almost support the addiction. You know what I'm saying? Like different circumstances. And so that gives me complicated feelings. Like I watched the first episode of Euphoria and could not, I just couldn't because my, I think at the time I was a little bit too close to drug uses most negative effects on you know one of my friends you just mentioned and it was too close to home it's too sore a subject I was just like I don't enjoy this personally and it's such a it's a mixed bag you know some people watch something like that and find it therapeutic and find it to tell their story or entertaining entertaining and that's not the case for me I can't really speak to the broader idea of if we're going in the right direction or not. I think there's a fine line between, you know, a show like Euphoria, I'll at least admit, explores the negative side of drug use. Okay. 
But I do have a big problem with it being glorified without exploring that. Like in music sometimes, when it's just nothing but glorification, nothing but glorification, putting it in a in a bar or a hook in that music, then going directly to our children in Philly, as you know. And it's like, eh, eh, you don't have the racks to support. You're not even getting the good drugs that this person who's rapping about them are getting. So <laughs> we have to think about this differently, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's so complicated. It's such a big issue. And I've talked about it online and it's been controversial when I have. So I just kind of stopped. But it doesn't change my opinion on it. And, you know, I've since redirected my work toward being more personal, like, you know, working with groups in Philadelphia. There's a group called Yeah Philly, a group of young people who are all about staying away from drugs, Mm -hmm. mitigating why people get on drugs and why people turn to guns and stuff to solve their problems. They're all about mitigating that, providing jobs, resources, mental health, you know. um, So that's where I focus my energy now. And I feel like that's where a lot of us should start focusing our energy like on our kids on our you know our kids are like watching euphoria was also a mind fuck because it was like these kids are like babies babies (laughs) and they're getting shot out yeah Yeah. and like it's great and we have to like start to nurture them and i'll talk to sometimes my peers and we'll be like well we're just kids no we're not we're 31 it's time for us to start checking in with the next generation. It's it's time. I know we still feel like we're kids, but Ooh, we're yeah. old. I know, <laughs> I know. Are. I keep saying kids. <laughs> we do though. We have to check in with the babies because they're like going through it, and we have to start nurturing them and sh- telling them like there's more to things. You know, I mean, that's a yeah. lot of my book is directed toward them. Like, they need nourishment. Do you know what I mean? absolutely they need nourishment thank you for sharing that though because thank you because I just want to say really quickly like I (laughs) totally understand that because even when I was going through high school and seeing the access to drugs and the the cool nature of being able to use them for me I always stayed away because I already saw the really real effects I was living that through my family like my Mm -hmm. relatives so yeah I think that's a, a good perspective to have on it and thank you for sharing that of course. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That's that's vulnerable of you to share. <laughs> <laughs> but on the subject of your book, because, OK, we wanted to celebrate you here. So this is <laughs> this is subject is about she means well, because I am so Aww. excited. We got a sneak peek. Sorry, listeners. We got ahead. We got a sneak peek. <laughs> Hilarious. Oh, thank you. And we read that you said this was like the hardest thing you've ever done. Yeah, it was definitely. Why? Um, books are hard. Books are, you know, for or let me let me talk about me. The book was hard for me because you know at first I was not. I know people who were like, oh my god, I want to write a book one day. I had never felt that way before. <laughs> So it was already like, okay, getting over that hump of creating the want to, thus creating a theme, creating a purpose, you know, and that came, you know, first it was like, I want to document my digital journey so people can see, read what that was like. And then eventually it became what I just told you guys. I kind of want younger people to read this. I think like, you know, I had Mindy Kaling's book and I had Tina Fey's book. I want them to have another book like that, but documenting the digital age and my experience as a black girl, not only in this industry, but this world. But then also, you know, writing a book, I think in the time period I was writing, which was from like 27 to 30, maybe 26, I can't remember. My ideologies were changing so much. My thoughts on 
the my politics have changed so much since when I started writing this book and into now. My idea on career and work had changed so much. You know, I had a, gotten a boyfriend during that time and then gotten engaged. So much was changing every day. My, I picked, I sold shows, got shows, got picked up, sold shows, got shows picked up. And so for you to like keep a thread during all that time and you're writing down who you are, but who you are is changing, that made it very hard. But I felt accomplished when I did it because of how hard it was. I don't think I had ever done anything more difficult. And I don't think I ever will. Like that was hard. Yeah. Well, we want everyone listening to definitely pick it up, pre-order it. It is hilarious based on what we were able to read and it's also very relatable as a fellow black philly girl i bet that's your total bag yeah (laughs) i I know her i totally know what she's talking about before we let you go if you can just fill in the blank we like to end every episode the same way oh fun okay my black is all that because my black is all that because oh my god i don't know okay let me think my black is all that because I embrace it. That is good enough for us. You know, it's so funny watching guests <laughs> struggle with that question every the very time because there's so much to brag about. I know. I was like, what? Who, how do I answer this? Um, yeah, I'm going to go with that. That's my final answer. Love it. For a million dollars. Thank you. What do I win? <laughs> First off, thank you so much. This is so much fun. Yes. You are so excited you, to have you. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Come back whenever you want. <laughs> yeah, I'm always, I, I get on these things not fully reading the uh, invite. So it's always a pleasure to like see two black faces when I was not expecting you. Oh, <laughs> we love that. We love really that. Nice. We love that being a surprise. It is, especially two black girls. Yeah, yeah it's always a nice little treat. It's really fun. So it's good to see you guys and meet you too. Yeah, nice to meet you and continue doing what you're doing. You're dope and we'll continue to follow in your journey. And Stan, thank you so much. If you or someone you care about needs help with addiction and recovery, you can find more resources at the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration by visiting samhsa.gov or call their national helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. The Table is Ours is produced by us, Kirby Dixon and Amira Lawali. This episode was also produced by McKamey Lynn and Richard White and edited by Melissa Kaplan. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. The Table is Ours was created by A&E. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.